to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Welcome to a special Saturday edition of Origins, uh, broadcasting here from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Today, I'm thrilled, thrilled to be joined by a culinary um, icon. Is that a good word? I think that's a good word. Well, good. You, 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 you'll take that? <laughs> I'll take that. Um, Thank you. Uh, Mary Sue Milliken, all the way from Los Angeles, California, and other parts, but based in Los Angeles, um, and someone who I've followed and looked up to for years, and um, thanks for joining us here on Origins. My pleasure to be here. What a beautiful hotel. And um, thanks for joining us here in D.C. What brings you to town? Well, um, I'm here for the, the Smithsonian's Food Weekend, and we were awarded, my business partner Susan Feniger and I were awarded the Julia Child Award on uh, Thursday night. Well, so congratulations. I'm still floating. I'm sure. <laughs> How was it? It was just incredible. It was just, I felt, I feel like I had a wedding. (laughs) (laughs) And you, you because I never have had a wedding. (laughs) I'm married, but you know, we just, I throw parties for other people. (laughs) Exactly. I know the feeling. So this was really, really a thrill. Well, super well deserved. And you guys, you and and Susan are the first women to get this, this, um, Award, yes. and it was especially touching because we knew Julia. You know, she lived in Santa Barbara, and she came to LA a lot. She came to our first little restaurant in 1982, and uh, you know, bumped her heads on the pans hanging in the kitchen because the <laughs> kitchen was so tiny. And she was just a big champion. We had did a show with her, and we did lots of book signings and events with her. And so it was really lovely to to be there. And you know, she had such a vision, and she her she wanted her legacy to live on. And um, she, she was so smart and brilliant that um, she set it up so that each year someone is going to receive this award. And then as the recipient, you get $50,000 to donate to your food-related cause. And wow. Susan and I um, split it. And um, hers is going to the LGBT uh, center in L.A. that's building a new kitchen to teach at-risk youth who are on the streets how to cook and, and have a, and a, a great skill. And then um, I'm on the board of the James Beard Foundation, and we have a new women's leadership program that's really exciting, and um, it's helping, you know, women to get more confidence and more um, the, of the tools they need to bring us to gender parity in our in our uh, profession, which would be, you know, and I think Julia and James Beard, who are good friends. I made a joke on Thursday that it was Day of the Dead, and I'm sure that you know that's the day you honor the people that you've lost. And I'm sure that they were toasting this, <laughs> this, you know, because they were both very big champions of inclusivity too. Sure, without question. Well, and I want to, I want to, we'll get to activism and advocacy. I, I think eventually, but we, I, I'd love to start back in those days. And uh, for you, it was the late '70s, early '80s. It starts in LA. Um, you meet Susan. Uh, as you're cooking, and I guess where I'd love to start is with the Border Grill. Uh, well, you did a couple things before that, right? But it feels like Border Grill is kind of where it happened and where it's been and what you guys have been, you know, kind of uh, doing since then. Right. And it just seems like, for me, I don't, I guess if, you, if you're getting a rocket ship and go to the moon, you could be considered a pioneer. You know, you, you, you know you might be the first to do that. But I wonder if you guys considered yourselves pioneers back then no I don't think so (laughs) I think we 
Really, we were young. We opened our first restaurant in 81. I was 23 years old. So I've been my own boss since I was 23. And our first restaurant was very eclectic, had food from all over the world. And we were big travelers. So I'd worked in a kitchen in Thailand and Susan in India. And we were bringing all those flavors in because that's what we like to eat, uh-huh. even though we were classically French trained. And um, then we opened our second restaurant four years after in 1985. And that's when the little cafe, it was 900 square feet, became Border Grill. Uh-huh. Because we couldn't decide between a hamburger place or a taco joint or, you know, a, a, a ramen. <laughs> we were thinking of a Japanese ramen shop. But tacos won because, I don't know, we just, because we could go down to Mexico and it didn't cost as much to go to Japan. Right, I wanted to ask you, I mean, a lot of people have, t- here we go. A lot of people have, have, you know, tasted, you know, had their first taste of, of Oaxacan cuisine. Very few uh, decide to open a restaurant. <laughs> We're getting coffee delivery here, which is nice. crucial yes, on a Saturday morning. Yes, it is crucial. Um, are you good? I'm you? good. Okay. I'm fine. Thanks. Um, but you guys take that first. It sounded like it was happening in kitchens that you were working in, and you were, you know, you're, you're serving classic French food to the guests, and out back everybody's eating tacos and, and pozole and yeah. salsas. Right, and, exactly. Yeah. And you guys take that experience and open run with it and open border grill well we took a three-week trip to uh mexico we flew to mexico city and stayed at the family of our only employee at the time (laughs) we only had me susan and tacho so we stayed at tacho's family's place in mexico city and then we got a a rented a a vw bug and we started driving we drove uh, to puebla and then up to veracruz and down to merida and uh, Valladolid, we did a lot of, really a lot of Yucatan kind of exploration. We didn't go to Oaxaca till a couple years later, but we wrote the whole menu for Border Grill in that three-week period and came back and just opened it up. And, and then our, our other restaurant was in, in, in process, too. It was being built. So, so what, year was, what year was this, this legendary VW bug trip? 1985. And what was, I mean, I think it's hard. One of the things that I love to go back and think about, especially for someone that's done someone, so much and how different 1985 was in in LA, how different, I'm sure in Mexico, it was a whole different place. In fact, you know, we, we would, we were researching real Mexican food and we'd ask people, where's the best food in in this town? And they'd always point us to some sort of continental, you know, horrible version of European food. And we'd be, no, 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 we don't want that. We want to, you know, so we, we really, that's when we learned how to just go to the markets and go to the back stalls of the markets where all the vendors would go to eat because they they handle food every day they know fresh and delicious and they were eating the most incredible food you know really handmade delicious flavors and bright and then we'd ask them where to, where else we should go eat and so that's where we really started to learn the the Mexican food and we discovered chipotle chilies, which nobody had ever tasted. And why do they have to go and make a fast food place named Chipotle? <laughs> it ruined it for me. I don't, uh, it was, we brought them back in our suitcases, and we went down to the Central Market in L.A. and said, take us to all the Mexican vendors. we got to find these chilies. I had the same experience with the Pasilla Oaxaqueño. Uh-huh. That, that little chili, which is always, even in, even in Oaxaca, it's a little bit hard to find, but you finally find it. It's just like, look, I hope nobody ever opens a fast food place called Pasilla Oaxaqueño. That would be <laughs> terrible. Yeah. I, I, my, the favorite meal, I've, one of the favorite meals I've ever had was like a staff meal at a Chinese restaurant in Baltimore. And I was, it was a holiday. It was a Chinese New Year, and it was amazing. And I was tasting all these things I'd never tasted before. And 
Chinese restaurants in Baltimore. That sounds like the punchline to a joke. And uh, and uh, but what I what I asked the chef and the owner of the restaurant was like, why don't you do this food for? And they're like, Americans don't want that. They they're not ready for it. And I'm wondering if in 1985. You know, Mexico is a very different place. L.A. is a different, very different place. Was L.A. ready for a, a kind of a what you were ready to bring with well, Border it, Grill? Interestingly, L.A. is um, really under under it's the, the beauty and the, the spirit of L.A. is not that well known. I don't think, especially when I moved there from Chicago in 81, I was amazed at what we could put on the menu and what people would buy. They were just, you know. They were, had such an adventure spirit, all of our customers. And when we opened in uh, the Border Grill, the first one, it was packed from day one. And we were doing, you know, crab tacos and all kinds of, you know, things that were completely, you know, foreign. We, we, and we were, we were really serious about being authentic <laughs> to, the, to the point where people would be like, I don't know what this is. What's a warache? What's a panucho? I don't know, but I'm just going to have one of each. <laughs> And so it was really quite, um, it, it's always been a rewarding place for a chef to live and to work because the customer base is really, really adventurous and excited, gets excited. For some reason, still a place that people like to hate on for whatever reason, but my last couple of visits there, I'm just like, L.A. is, is, is it. We, I remember we had a, a lamb tongue dish that um, people really, it, it sold a lot. And, and, you know, you don't really think of, lamb tongue as being a really hot commodity <laughs> and and all through the 80s that was on our menu really mm-hmm. so a pioneering in a whole, whole other way yeah and I, I love the, I love the hearing the little Chicago Midwestern you still you've still held I'm from Iowa um, but have spent my life in Baltimore and um, but I love when I can detect a little bit of Midwestern uh, yeah even though and I grew up in Michigan but Chicago's where I went to uh, chef school and got most of my training other than Paris, actually, I lived in Paris and worked for a year there too. So, let's we'll, we started kind of with Border Grill, and we kind of flash forward, if you will, years of success, amazing projects in LA, um, in Las Vegas, catering food trucks. Um, I feel like I'm sure I'll leave, it'd probably be easier to say what you haven't done. Uh, incredible uh, awards and um, acclaim, um, but you've done something that a couple of things that I really wanted to talk to you about today. And one of those is that you've, you've been able to turn that or use that, or I'd love to hear how you think about it, uh, in powerful and meaningful ways f- to advocate for things that you believe in. And I think it's one thing that I, we could sit here and talk all day about the success that you've had in your restaurants and it's well-deserved, but I really want to hear about how you've taken that success, I think in a way, if they're related, and I'd love to, again, to hear what you think or, or your perspective. And, and, um, and talk about how you've used it um, to, to kind of advocate for the things you care about. Yeah, it's, that's been a really kind of important cornerstone of our business, I would say. It's a, it's, um, it was not, I, I don't think Susan and I ever set out with a very clear business strategy, ever. It's more like our careers just happened to us, or think, you know, think doors would open and we'd crack them open a little further and go in. And, you know, I remember when... Um, we we did we lost at one of our restaurants, city restaurant, um, to, to a number of different things: earthquake, fire, riots. Um, you know, not enough of a cash cushion, <laughs> and um, 
we had some time on our hands, and I, I, uh, it was right when, the, if you remember, there was um, apples that had ALAR, this spray on them that was proven to be bad for children, and, and just the idea that our apples, the one thing that kids always eat, and I was a new mom, I called our NPR, uh, pre- the president of the station, and I said, I want to do a radio show about, you know, the, the, the things in the food system that need to be, you need to be aware of. <laughs> and she said... We had her over for lunch, and she said, that is the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> but you want to have a radio show? Why don't you come in on Friday or Saturday and, you know, get ready to talk for an hour <laughs> and talk about all kinds of things. You can weave your little message in if you want to. So that's how, you know, things would start for us. It would just be like a little crack, a little idea, and then, you know, things would just blossom. So it was really very... Um, that's how things. That's how we got the radio show, and then that led to a TV show. But that I was think, too hot tamales. Yes, and I think that Susan and I um, have. You know, we don't say no to anything, <laughs> ever. We're very. You know, we've had to eat. It's kind of a. It's a fault, and it's a. It's a also an attribute because, you know, if we can't do three things at once, we'll just we'll send. You know gift cards to that charity event and something else to another one and then the, we'll show up at the one that we are most close to our right. dear to our hearts so um and, and i think we've always told ourselves that uh, it's good for business that you know it comes back in ways that we can't really quantify but it does and i think um it's we've just kind of that's worked for us and so we've learned to kind of expand on that to um you know I think our, our employees are loyal and they stick around for a long time because they get more than a paycheck. They actually are developing their skills and they also feel like they're part of something bigger than just a restaurant. They get to go to charity events with us or they get to uh, promote sustainable seafood and, and they get to teach their um, guests a little something. So the guest gets something more than food too. They get a little new knowledge on, you know, what's uh, why we don't serve, a, you know, certain kinds of fish and why we serve other kinds it's um i think everybody i don't know if this is too much of a generalization but it seems like connection is something we're all looking for and connection in the workplace harder and harder to come by um i wanted to ask you uh, again going back to this again it's a pioneering spirit more than anything um but two women start a restaurant in la um and here we are in 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 the era of me too and i I can't imagine that you um, foresaw this in a way, but you certainly were ahead of, of everyone, uh, well, most people in doing this, and I'm, I'm not sure if it, was, if it was deliberate, but you created a restaurant, and you, I'm, in doing so, I think one of the things that we don't think about is that when you create a restaurant, you create a workplace. And I'd love to know what it's been like at, at Border Grill and your other places with two women in charge since 1985. Well, it's so interesting because um, I've thought about this a lot in the last year. Um, I think no last winter, I was just so, just about a year ago now, I was so shocked and disappointed and, um, you know, at the extent of, of the harassment and abuse in my industry, you know, the industry that I, I, you know, I love, and it's an industry about hospitality and we know how to treat each other. We know how to treat people. We know how to make them feel great about being in our restaurants. And, and for Susan and I, we've always um, you know, thought that that was an important thing to also extend to our staff because a happy staff you know, is a ha- does better work. 
But I think also having opened a restaurant at 23 and probably in some respects subconsciously to get away from uh, the patriarchy and call the shots for myself, even though it had, I had to start so tiny in a 900 square foot restaurant with nine tables and 11 bar stools. But I think um, I, I also have been a little bit siloed off in my own little world. So it was kind of a big shock. Um, and I've really, I, I was one of the founders of the Women Chefs and Restaurateurs back 25 years ago. And I think, you know, I, um, I've been thinking, I have two sons <laughs> who I've hopefully raised to really, you know, understand gender parity and, and how important it is. And um, I think my husband and I really are try, have always tried to, to, you know, impress upon them how, how to treat everybody not not just women or men but everybody i mean bullying is just as big a problem as as harassment and um you know i think that we just have to be so much more aware of our kids and how our kids are raising their kids and i think it's there's such an a very deep um bias really uh which keeps women from getting ahead getting equal pay equal you know press equal attention equal money investment it's just you know you know Roy Choi in sure. LA uh-huh. his business partner Natasha and I were talking a, a couple of weeks ago and she said you know every time I walk into and Roy and I walk in somewhere and and we're introduced to people they say oh how long have you been married or are you Roy's assistant <laughs> And right. it's that kind of thing. It's so sort of systemic in our culture that we have to really start, you know, all of us waking up, men and women, to, to really remembering not to assume. Right. Because it's that kind of passive yeah. quality that, that keeps things the way they are. Do you think we're making progress? Well, I, I think I was so shocked because in the 70s, I thought in, in you know, in 40 years you know women's liberation was happening in the 70s we were burning our bras and you know everybody was changing roles and i just didn't think 40 years later that you'd be that it would be assumed that if you were with a guy you were either his assistant or his wife i just didn't think that would be the case so i am pretty um disappointed in the the pace at which we change <laughs> but i'm also you know, I think this Me Too thing is fantastic. I think it's really woken everybody up, and we have to keep making a lot of noise about it. So what advice, a question I've never asked before, but what advice would you give to someone, chefs uh, in this day and age, if they kind of hit it, they, they usually hit it pretty solidly, um, you know, uh, uh, and once you find yourself, you know, um, with a business that's doing well, with, with you know, some recognition and, and um, um, how would you, uh, what would you say to a young chef, he or she, um, about using that uh, to affect change? Because like, I think you are one of the best examples of, of that, of thoughtful use. Well, yeah, I think it starts really small in, in how you set an example, how you, you treat people around you, but then it really grows bigger and bigger because you get more, you have more reach. So I think, um, you know, first leading by example is the most important thing. And then, um, and also being willing to talk about the, the difficult things, you know, really not to, you know, just ignore them or put your blinders on and get, get to work. I think you have to really 
talk about and and be curious really be curious and dig in you know it, whether it's where you're buying your product from and how those farm workers are treated or how the animals are treated or the vegetables are treated you know for me I've always been sort of a big picture person so every I love that um that idea that when the butterfly flaps his wings in Japan or somewhere, it affects something over here. You know, I think it's true. Everything that we do, we, we vote with our pocketbooks. So what kind of restaurants you want to support and what, you know, what kind of vendors you want to support, that really makes a big difference. I, you know, it's, it's funny you bring up curiosity. I, I had Daniel Ballou in here and we had a great talk and it was one of the things, and I'm, I'm picking it up again, is this, you know, a long career, a lot of success but still so curious so like kind of like how does this work you know we're, we're coming in here you're looking around I can see like you're kind of processing it all how how did how is that influenced or affected or let me see um informed this this curiosity um as a quality in your work as a chef and well a, and I I feel so blessed because I love to cook so much and it all started with curiosity for me I it was a a a magazine article in Red Book, and I was in sixth grade, and I read the whole recipe, and I was like, what kind of a weirdo thing is this? You take the dough, and you make the butter, and you spread it on top, and then you fold it, and roll it, and put it in the refrigerator, and fold it, and roll it. I had no idea what it was, so I made it. And of course, it was a Danish pastry, and it, <laughs> it had all these layers of dough, uh-huh. and, and they had all risen up and made, and you could see every layer, and I and it just... I, I was so curious about the recipe, and then when I did it, I, I was so curious about the science behind it, when the butter got hot in the oven and it, the steam pushed the dough up and made all these layers. And I think that's just sort of never stopped for me. And it's not just about food anymore. It's also about people and how we all connect with each other and how we make you know the best workplace and how we create events that are, you know, different and new and you know they're not the same old thing we did 10 or 15 years ago and rest same in the restaurant you have to keep reinventing yourself all the time i think one of my i i made a recipe like that it was croissant dough but it ended up as a big blob it was just it was so sad and it was just and all the butter came out so i learned a different lesson but (laughs) yes you learned those are good lessons too believe me oh yeah they are great plenty of plenty of those yeah um, I'm wondering how different you would think Border Grill and your businesses would be if they happened somewhere else. Or conversely, how much do you think the fact that Border Grill that you and Susan created um, is in L.A.? And I guess specifically, how is it um, the cuisine, the ingredients that you're, you're able to source there? Um, you, you mentioned crab. Um, what, what kind of crab was that, do you think? way back Mm, good question lost to the sands of time I think um, we did you know it's a really good question because in those days you couldn't even get fresh basil right you know well that was the other uh, the other piece that I was you know 1985 um, we opened in Baltimore 1991 and I try to remind myself that you know mescaline mix when it, it suddenly was available was this big deal and I've tasted balsamic vinegar for the first time and right. that was a big deal like what is this this vinegar that wasn't you know at that I, I think up until then vinegar was just some you know just apple cider whatever right um but right so there, there it was a very different landscape like literally back then and ingredient scape if you will but um I'm just wondering yeah 
your well, sourcing, I guess, is kind of L- what I was leading to. L.A. has such a huge impact on our food. And, um, you know, we would both worked in France where you could get fresh basil and you could get all kinds of other herbs and things and, you know, delicious ingredients. And when we got back, you know, we were really trying to find those same things. Like in Chicago, we definitely couldn't get fresh basil, but I remember finding it out here, out in L.A. And I think um, the the amazing abundance of fresh, beautiful product that has gotten better and better and better from the 80s to the 90s to the 2000s. And and I think um, we now have probably better product than anywhere else in the world. When I go to Europe, when I go to... Asia, I don't, I don't find half the stuff I find in LA every single day. They also have the most amazing, diverse ethnic population. A lot of Korean people, a lot of Mexicans, a lot of Central Americans, you know, and they all bring, you know, their desire for their product. So when you go to the farmer's market, you'll find, you know, obscure things from, you know, that grow in Vietnam and, and they're selling. It's, it's a... It's an amazing moment, and I wonder how you see yourself. Um, you mentioned, you know, the award uh, you got, Julia Child's award, James Beard. Uh, we mentioned. It seemed like there was, there are a few chefs, and I, I, I wonder if you think you're one of them. I do, um, who kind of have carried us from that moment of awakening around American cooking and American food that Julia and, and James Beard and and a few others were kind of responsible for. Uh, Richard Olney. Um, um, MFK Fisher, and 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 here we are now, where we have this incredible uh, range of ingredients and 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 cuisines that are available to us. And it seemed like you were there at that moment that that kind of carried us between the two. The, the kind of the and I've had a similar conversation with Alice Waters about that. And I've I've kind of like I didn't get to meet these folks. And um, not that it's it's more like not that. It's not an age thing. It's more like I just wasn't there, and I want to hear what it was like. Oh, gosh. Um, it was <laughs> wonderful. You know, G- James Beard I met, Julia Child I spent good time with, and um, I never met Richard Olney, but Craig Claiborne. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they were all very... And, and Jovan Trebojevic, who I worked for in Chicago, really um, was probably the best training I ever had. His restaurant, La Perroquet, that's where I met Susan. Uh-huh. And um, he was doing really very innovative Nouvelle cuisine, you know, taking baby little suckling pigs and stuffing them with mustard greens and poaching them and serving them with like the most amazing lemon sauce and, you know, things that just weren't being done. And that was in the 70s. But um, learning, I think that was a part of uh, the learning for, for me. And like Julia, when she would write a recipe, it would be, remember when you read the Mastering the Art of French Cooking in the very beginning, and it was just like unbelievable how the depth that she would go to in explaining the very, if you were making her recipe for croissanto, you would not have had a problem <laughs> because she would give you every single dimension and I, you know, it, there would be nothing left to your imagination because, and you, you would make it and it would succeed. I think, um, that was just the sort of that intensity was really starting to really, you know, catapult uh, our our nation into people who are really food loving. I mean, my mom was, you know, a great cook, but she froze everything. She thought it was so cool that we could get 
canned kale, you know, or frozen this. You know, she just was um, sort of a product of that whole generation that was into convenience and, um, you know, the abundance, the sort of after the war, um, there was just that whole, uh, the pendulum swung so far to, you know, we'll have vegetables that don't have a season and we'll have, you know, so there was a 50-year period where people really uh, got used to eating terrible food. It feels like we sometimes have to swing one way and then swing back and then maybe we finally get to a good positive center. Oh, let's I wonder, well, you talk about canned stuff and frozen stuff and, you know, we've, uh, I think as a nation been down that road, but where do you draw the line in your own kitchens? Are there things that you won't do, products that you won't serve based not so much on flavor or maybe and not so much on canned or frozen, but right. are there things that you just don't agree with and therefore don't find, find a way onto your menu? Right. I think um, we, have, we always wanted to open restaurants that everybody could eat in, all of our friends, and we didn't have a lot of rich friends. We, we worked in restaurants where only rich people ate, but when we opened our own restaurant, we were very, very conscious about wanting it to be affordable and accessible to many, many kinds of people. So we don't have the luxury of a really high price point. You know, our average check at Border Grill um, and at, even at our old restaurant, City, they were, it was never more than $30 at dinner, including drinks. And it's still about that, which is not a lot of money anymore. <laughs> but... Um, so we are limited in our ability to, to buy the very, very finest and the, the things that are just so, you know, kind of elite. Uh-huh. But we also are really, we, um, every year we take on a new sustainable challenge. Um, sustainable seafood was sort of the starting point uh-huh. 20 years ago when uh-huh. we were, you know, informed by the Monterey Bay Aquarium of what was going on. It was a great I remember being so excited and exhilarated when I came back and my staff was like, no, 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 we can't take that off. the, We can't take right. tuna off the menu. And I said, yes, we can. <laughs> We're going to do that. But I had a lot of pushback from front of the house and back of the house. No doubt. And uh, but everybody got so into it eventually. And so then some years we don't take on a very big, expensive thing. We, we don't serve any meats grown with, uh, with antibiotics that have ever been administered at all uh-huh. um, because of the terrible problems that we're having with, you know, antibiotic-resistant. Right. Um, and, and just the way the, that that farming is. So we, have, we, we buy uh, all organic rice and beans. We buy a lot of organic fresh product. But we, we, I wouldn't say we were, we were, you know, only organic. Do you think uh, you must have a lot of love for Mexico? And I'm wondering if, if you're concerned about what's going to happen there. The GMO restrictions are kind of uh, coming off of corn production there. And are you, um, I mean... You were inspired, and I'm sure continue to get inspiration and, and just love the place. Um, are you worried about what's going to happen? Well, I do. I guess I worry about. I worry about a lot of things, especially you know feeding seven, eight, nine billion people. You know, in in twenty, thirty more years, and I do a lot of work globally about um, how we're going to do that. GMO, I I really don't have a strong strong feeling about yet I don't I know that there's I just don't think the science is quite conclusive enough for me Um, although we do uh, we are switching this year to non-gmo corn and organic corn for all of our masa um, which is we haven't done until now are you do you nixtamalize in the restaurants no but uh, you know I feel like 
it, that would be great, but we're, we're we have a pretty high volume, <laughs> and so <laughs> what a diplomatic way of saying like uh, yeah, are you crazy? <laughs> well, I, and also also I'm kind of excited about the idea that you know somebody do does one thing and they do it so well. And then you buy from them. Yeah, totally. And you really are able to kind of support someone who just focuses on that one thing. If I try to do too many things, then I'm, I'm usually doing them all a little bit half-assed. My favorite question that I get is like, oh, you know, you, you, you like to source locally. Do you have a farm? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. If you saw what our farmers go, hey, what, my, what farmers I work with know, their expertise and their, how good they are at what they do and also how hard it is. Um, yeah. No, I don't have a farm. I leave the farming to the farmers. Exactly. Um, I leave the nixtamalizing to, yeah. <laughs> to the pros. Um, but I do, I do think um, I've been, you know, I've done a lot of culinary diplomacy around the world. Uh-huh. I really, really love that. I think over food at, around a table, that is where we are going to be able to solve a lot more problems than, um, you know, other ways. I think that's something we all share I was in Pakistan. I did um, six half-hour TV shows and spent three weeks with the sort of the Martha Stewart of Pakistan, Chef Shai. And she and I, um, we had just the most incredible time sort of, you know, bringing our cultures together around food. Sure. Sounds amazing. I wonder if you could just share with us, you know, that the, the, the word sustainability is used a lot. The idea is in front of us, and we, I think most of us care about that. Are there specific, having done this work for so long and thought about it the way that you have, are there specific outcomes that you're still hoping for? Like, um, I feel like sometimes the conversation of sustainability is, is a little too broad or a little too general. And, you know, I know as a chef, I get up and I want to see, I don't want to see small farms disappear from the landscape. And that's, I, like, I think that's something we can measure. Like, I, I, I'd like to keep track of how many farms are in Maryland. Are we losing, you know, losing farms? Are, are um, farmers still continuing to kind of age out of, of, of the work and not being replaced by young farmers? Anything that you're thinking about that you, you still think we needs to happen or we want to help? Happen? Well, I, I, I'm excited. Um, it's, some, it's a kind of a double-edged sword because um, it seems in our culture today we measure everything or we're, we're starting to. And I, I think that's great because, like you said, when you're measuring it, I know um, my restaurants, one of the, all of our restaurants are, are the, on the Good Food 100 list, which um, where you turn all your invoices over to um, the organization and they really go through and they rate you on, on how you're doing. And then they also uh, quantify how many jobs you're, you've uh, created and how much, uh, you know, a lot of different kinds of things. They're measuring all kinds of things. Which is sort of a way of being able to prove that that this is going to work, that this is important work, that you know. And if you want to support a restaurant that's doing the right thing, you look for it on this list, or or it's on open table, or you know. I think we're headed in that direction, mm-hmm. which I think is really important. At the same time, I think you know we probably are going to go. The pendulum is probably swinging really far in the measurement <laughs> lane. So we're measuring everything, and it's not just numbers. You right, know, there's right. also, there's things that, you know, even in the sustainable seafood issue, there's, there's certain, um, you know, populations of people who have been fishing in a certain way for a very, very long time, and they're, they, you know, they might lose their livelihood over, you know, some black and white idea of what's sustainable. And so I think it, it is complicated. 
It's amazing. And any little particular direction you take, it just gets complicated and sometimes uh, harder. Than, yeah. Than but if we keep asking the questions and keep looking at outcomes and keep thinking about, you know, how are we going to feed 9 billion people? I mean, we are very, very conscious of uh, plant-based food and we, have, we, we push it as hard as we can and we try. And in Mexican food, it's so easy. You know, there's so many satisfying flavors and textures and, and combinations that don't require protein. So I feel like um, that's a big part of uh, our, our ongoing diet. And, you know, for me, I started doing that just myself. My husband and I decided to go 80-20. We're never going to give up meat, but, <laughs> you know, 80% plant-based every single week you know sometimes we won't eat meat for two or three weeks but then we'll have a big giant steak <laughs> but how? you know i started doing it with my own body and i felt how i felt different and i th- then i started thinking okay i got to get my employees to do this and then i got to get my customers to do this because it does you feel better and it's going it, to it's going to be possible to feed the world if we don't eat as much protein less meat is part of the answer yes for sure I am so thrilled that you stopped by and made time for us. Uh, and I know you're, you guys are catching a plane here in, in a, a matter of hours. Um, this has been fantastic. Thank you, Spike. Um, thanks for making, uh, well, thanks for making it to D.C. Uh, we'll have to figure out another award to give you guys and get you out here again. My pleasure. Yeah. I will be here. I'm coming back in June for a big fundraiser I'm going to do with Eden's group um, over at the uh, Union Market. Very cool. Yeah. All right. We'll see you there. Okay. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Mary Sue. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.